All right. Hey, um, I did some really dumb stuff when I started in the ministry, and some I need forgiveness for. Could I, could I share one if you promise not to tell anybody else? Because this isn't online. Um, so in my first church, I, I looked like I was 16 years old, and I had the mind of a, like a middle school boy. That's kind of my maturity level. Anyway, the third week I was there, I looked out, and everybody in our church had white hair. Literally. Like the median age was like 70-something. And they all had hearing aids. And I thought it would be super funny to come up to the pulpit and do this. And then like 250 senior citizens reached for their um, hearing aid and turned it up and all of a sudden you could hear them all humming like they were feeding back. And because um, then I started to talk in my regular voice, it was so loud they started feeding back in their ear. Didn't endear me to the senior citizen crowd. And I don't believe in karma. That's a cruel doctrine that comes out of Hinduism. But if, there, if I did believe in karma, I think the, the Lord has a sense of humor because I was mocking these people, kind of making fun of their hearing aids. And I've been noticing my wife is just really hard of hearing. I mean, uh, she doesn't enunciate right now. Do we have a picture? So I'm always doing this. I'm like, huh? Huh? Could, could you speak up? And... Um, I thought about getting one of the old-time devices, if you could look at that. <laughs> there was a man in my neighborhood growing up. He was like 93, you know, arthritic and all that. He had a big old, they call him an ear trumpet. And when you would talk to him, he'd go, ha! Huh? And he'd stick his ear trumpet right in your mouth. And this is kind of what my grandkids are having to do now with me. And so what I found out is it really isn't a problem with Annette's enunciation, it's really a hearing issue, probably from shooting too much. And so I was, I was supposed to go to the hearing place this week and get a new hearing aid, but sorry, I didn't make it, and I lost my prop. But just know, um, I will be getting a hearing aid. I'm joining the club, and uh, karma is pretty tough. When you make fun of something, it comes back to bite you. So there you go. But the main point is, in terms of hearing, is we've got this amazing letter from Paul to Timothy. And, and Paul really wants a young Timothy to listen to him. Like, Paul is getting ready to die. He suffered unimaginable pain. I mean, you've read the story. You know, whipped, beaten, in the city, in the town, shipwrecked. I mean, you know it all. Cold, hungry, all that. And now um, he's, he's trying to tell Timothy, Timothy, I need you to listen to me because I'm going to be going to the Lord soon. And there's some things I, I really want you to, I'm imploring you to listen to what I have to say to you. And so we open up and it says, uh, Paul says to Timothy, I charge you. I charge you. In other words, this is so important. I'm trying to get your attention. Listen to this. This isn't um, frivolous talk. This is so important, Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. When I read that, it strikes me funny. What, what strikes you funny about that? I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. It almost sounds as if there's God and then there's this other entity being Christ Jesus. Could you see where um, people who are heretics who don't believe Jesus is fully God could navigate here among other verses and try to say Jesus is less than the Father, Jesus is not fully God? The, the thing is, when you read these things, maybe we don't understand what Paul's trying to say. Maybe it's a Hebrew expression, 
But what we do know is you can't interpret a verse out of the context of so many other verses that prove to us that Jesus is equal with God. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and I are one. Jesus is the expressed image of the Father. I am, I am, I am, I am. And so there's like no doubt. But here he's saying, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. So maybe it's a theological thing that kind of goes above most of our heads. To them, when they talk about God, they're talking about the Father. So in the presence of our Father, and also of God the Son, God incarnate, the man Christ Jesus, maybe it's, it's showing that the Father has a, a, a different role. He's not greater or less than. He just has a different role than the Son and the Holy Spirit. Perhaps that's true. But... As a middle school boy in my own intellect, I tend to think it's like this. I swear by my mama's grave. And then the next guy goes, oh, yeah? I swear by my mother's mother's grave. And so I wonder here if he's saying, like, I charge you in the presence of God and also of Jesus up in the ante, perhaps. But the main thing is he's, there is a charge. And what is the charge? He says, I want you, verse 2. I want you to preach the word, ready in season and out of season. Preach the word. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I don't really like people preaching at me. I mean, in church, it's okay because you expect it. But if you go to Kroger and you're just in the aisle picking up, trying to find beef under $24 a pound, I mean, seriously, um, do you really want some stranger coming up and says, could I share with you the Romans road? You know, or Isaiah 53 and start like preaching at you, telling you you're a sinner and God's wrath is on you and you need to turn from your sins. There's a place for that. I'm so glad the Lord appointed one or two John the Baptist types in my life. But honestly, most of us didn't come to Christ because somebody preached at us in Kroger. And so when the Bible, Paul's saying this to Timothy, but really it's to all Christians when he says preach the word, what does he mean? Does he mean get in a pulpit? I don't think so, because most of you will not be in a pulpit. When he says preach the word, it's like be a herald. Like when some good news happens, tell somebody about it. Imagine if, going back to Kroger, if they had prime uh, ribeye steaks on, on sale today for five bucks a pound. You guys would be buzzing out of here. You get your communion and you get in your car and you go buy every steak they had. And you would, after you got yours, you tell all your friends about it. The point is, something much greater than steak is here. It's the bread of life. And he's saying, I want you to be a herald for me. I want you guys, not the clergy. I want Christians. I want you to be a herald. I want you not to be ashamed of me. Yes, I mean, I want you to do it gently and intelligently and all that. And I want you to listen and just... Don't talk all the time. But I need you to proclaim the good news of God in Christ Jesus. Tell the story. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let's go to the next slide. Yeah, so here, 1 Peter 3, 15 says it well. It says, always be prepared to make a defense uh, to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Be prepared to make a defense for anyone that asks for the hope that lies within you, but do so with gentleness and respect. And so 
No matter what kind of Christian you are, you've been a Christian one month, you've been a Christian 50 years, you've studied, advanced, whatever, whatever, or maybe you've just read basic Christianity, the Lord wants to use you. He wants you to be a herald for him, to be a light on the hill so that others may also come to know Christ, so that others will not be lonely like orphans, not knowing their left hand from their right hand, like sheep without a shepherd sitting under a weight of sin and condemnation, but not having a clue where to go with that. And we in the church hoard the gospel. Could I just take the pressure off you and say, the Lord does not need most of us to be C.S. Lewis. He needs us to be more like the blind man who didn't know much at all. He says, all I know is I once was blind, but now I can see. And it's that man, Christ Jesus. Be prepared to give a defense or a reason for the hope that lies within you. Preach the word. And it's not only telling about salvation. It goes on and says, do it in season and out of season. You know, I think right now, this is out of season. Nobody wants to hear out there. They don't want to hear the word of God. No. That, that worked in the 50s. It worked in the early 60s. And then all this stuff happened. And now it's like, you know, la, 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 la. This is not a season where a lot of people want to hear hard things. There seems to be no truth in our day except for my truth. And yet the Lord has told us to be a herald of the gospel, preach the word in season and out of season. And he goes on and he says, I want you to reprove, rebuke. And what's the other word? Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. I don't know about you, but I don't like when people come to reprove me. Um, rebuke me, or exhorts a little better, but still. And yet yesterday, a brother in Christ brought something to my attention. And it wasn't beating me up, but it was something I'd rather not hear. And I was like, ooh, that hurts. Ooh, I want to be defensive. But I know I'm not supposed to be defensive. But he spoke words of life and challenge and truth. So part of being a Christian and being a light on the hill is, yes, speaking of salvation, speaking of your salvation, but also being willing to love a brother or sister enough to, to in gentleness and kindness, speak words of truth so they don't wander off the path and get crushed. And so that's, that's the charge. Preach the word in season, out of season, with patience and, and teaching. Now look in verse 3. It says, for the time is coming, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but they'll have itching ears and they're going to accumulate for themselves teachers to, to suit their own passions. The time will come when people will not endure sound teaching. Do you know most of the seminaries in the United States are garbage? I wouldn't send my dog to most of these seminaries. Even the ones that used to be the, the lights on the hill, the places that we knew were good and safe and taught the faith once delivered. They're not doing it. They've gone off the track. It says the time is coming, and maybe it's already here, where people, will, they won't listen to sound doctrine or teaching. Why? Why would they not listen to sound doctrine? Because they don't want to, right? It says they have itching ears. I know Winnie. Hi, Winnie, wherever you are. I come up to Winnie when I see her, and she's just like a little bundle of joy. Just makes me happy. And I go up and I do her face like that, or do her ear, kind of tickle her ear. Love you, Winnie. See, people want their preachers 
to be like that. Tell me nice things. Tell me how good I am. Tell me about God's love. Don't challenge me. Don't, don't, don't preach repentance. Don't talk about the cross. Don't talk about suffering. Don't talk about serving. Don't ever ask me about giving or laying my life down. Don't ask me about holiness. Preacher, just say something that inspires me so I can go out and sin some more. I learned, out very, uh, learned very quickly after seminary. I had about 50 people in my class, and we learned, we all learned very quickly. If you keep your shoes shined and you iron your shirt and you smile at people and are nice, you'll have a really good career. You'll be invited to the country club. You'll get invitations to go to somebody's beach house. But on the other hand, if you step into what 2 Timothy 4 is commanding us to, to preach the word of God, to, to give them sound teaching and not tickle their ears, like not, not, a, not just kind of a, try to come around their flesh and comfort, but actually call them to walk and become like Jesus, um, you're, you're going to get some punch back. The guys that do that usually get fired. I was. First job, fired for preaching basic Christianity 101. Let's move ahead. So it says they won't endure sound teaching. They're, they're going to have itching ears, and they're going to accumulate for themselves teachers to, to, to suit their own passions. And it says, very, this is sad, it says that they're going to turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I wonder, like, you notice the seats here? They were filled before COVID. Not everybody that's not, no longer in these seats, not all those people are sick or COVID compromised. They just made a decision after two years. I don't really need this. I'm I'm fine without it. And, you know, it's kind of like going to the gym. Once you get out of the habit, you just never go back. Where are they? They don't like sound teaching. They don't want to hear it. They want comfort. They want pleasure. They want attaboys. They want inspiration. And they can get that on certain TV channels on the TV and have no commitment or, or, or part in the body of Christ. And it says, says so people who don't want to endure sound teaching, they, they get these teachers, these nice little yes-men. The Bible calls them hirelings. And, and then and they just tickle their ears. But the sad consequence of that is that many people, it says they wander from the truth. And then what does it say about myths? No, it says they, they turn away from the truth and they wander into myths. Now I want you guys to help me. This is the participation part. Maybe you've been to a bookstore. Maybe you've noticed that the Christian section is like as big as my thumb. And in the Christian section, the books that aren't heretical or crazy or whack job books, they're even smaller percentage. But there are rows and rows of books on spirituality. What kind of myths do you see people in, in our city, people you know? What kind of myths? When they, when they reject the truth, the Bible says they wander into myths. What are some myths? And these are not new. They've been going on since the beginning. What are some myths? What are some lies that people are believing? Even some Christians in the church. Money will make me happy. I tell you, my best friend in the seminary inherited $10 million. That was a lot of money back in 1983. <laughs> That's a joke. Apparently not a very funny one. Um, the, the, but the point being, he, he won the lottery. And he died penniless and miserable. Right? It didn't make him happy. Howard Hughes, how did it work for him? Jeff Bezos, keep going, keep going, keep going. Okay, other myths. Money will make you happy. That's totally a myth. What else? 
Jesus isn't the only way. I mean, how narrow-minded, Kim, could you be? Well, you know what? I'm going to be as narrow-minded as Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life, right? He is the sacrifice for sin. He is the one Isaiah 53 talked about. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who was and is and is to come. He is the one who will be our judge, Jesus Christ. Other myths, maybe one or two, and then we got to go. Huh? You're a pretty good fellow, right? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not perfect, but God grades on a curve, right? And, I'm, and fortunately, I make the curve. You don't, so sorry. Um, yeah, I'm my own God. Is that an absolutely frightening thing? You, you really want to be your own God. What provision do you make for your own sinfulness? You could no more be your own God than a rock can be your own God. Any other myths that you see? People going astray from the truth. Yes. Nothing after death, right? Eat, drink, and be merry, because you know what? When you die, you just turn to dust. But that's not true. It's not true. There, there's going to be a resurrection of the dead, and the Bible talks of two judgments. Have we gotten there yet? No. Oh, it says, oh, yeah, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead. There's a judgment in Romans 14. It talks about a judgment for all people, including unbelievers. Like, all people will be before the great white throne and, and there's going to be the books are going to be open and our deeds are going to be laid bare it's frightening that's that's what happens in judgment jesus will judge the unbeliever and we christians are like whoo good thing we don't have judgment coming but what does the bible teach about for believers for christians in romans 2 it makes it clear that there's going to be a judgment for believers now you who are in Christ, you, you, you were buried with him in his death and you've been raised with him in his resurrection. And the Bible says he's going to give you, his, has given you his coat of righteousness. And not because you're good, it's just because he's good. And when he sees you, when, when you appear before his seat as a believer for judgment, the one who judges you is the one who poured his blood out for you to, to make you holy. He's the one who's given you holiness. But there will be a judgment for believers, and we believe it's actually for rewards. Whatever you've done unto the least of these, my brothers, you've done unto me. And the Lord is going to bless, and he will reward believers who have served him with a whole heart and a glad heart. Last thing is verse 5. Let's go there. It says, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. I like being silly. Any of you guys stuck like in middle school mode? Some people call that immaturity. I call it fun. But the Bible says, okay, great. You're wonderfully and fearfully made. God made you with this kind of strange personality that you think's funny no one else does. But in the midst of that, the call to me is like, don't make excuses. Be sober-minded so you can be about your father's business. You don't have to undo your personality, but at least keep your head about you, right? Don't be so silly. You draw attention away from the Lord and to yourself. And it says, so be sober-minded, endure suffering. Trust me, uh, if you speak for Christ, there are going to be some people that will not like that, no matter how kind or how gentle you are. But then it goes on and it says, uh, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Now, as I often tell you guys, and we're, we're at the end now, 
Is Timothy on the earth alive right now? Not here, not here. He's dead. He's with the Lord, but he's physically, he died. And so this truth, this letter, while it was written to Timothy, is also our book. It's our story. And so through this passage, the Lord is saying, I want you guys to fulfill your ministries. And you're like, whoa, 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 dude. I didn't get a seminary. I got a ministry. The Bible says that God has given spiritual gift or gifts to every Christian. Every single Christian. It's a gift. It's given. And so the question is, how can you fulfill your ministry that the Lord has carved out for you? The way he's uniquely wired and gifted you. How can you fulfill it if you don't even know what it is? So the challenge this week is to say, Lord, I am not content to be like a fourth string football uh, quarterback on an NFL team. To sit on the bench and to never do anything. I hate that. I don't want to be on the bench. I want to get in the game. I want to serve you. And I want to fulfill the ministry, God, that you've given me. That's a place of amazing joy. Fulfill the ministry the Lord has given you. No one else but you has that ministry. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.